0: This is everyday life in Bel-Air, in Adjois, Baltimore, in Harford County, you drive, try to be on time, you work hard, hang out with friends, play, run errands, cook, go to bed to do it all over. Could this ordinary life somehow be more, mean more, matter more? Wherever you live, whatever you do, you were meant to live a life on mission. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name's Luke, and I'm uh, glad to be here today. One of the pastors here. It's, it's quite a compelling video. Uh, really... Uh, love seeing the, the breadth of all the places where, where we are, where we live and work and play. I've noticed um, in watching that for two weeks now, it creates a little bit of, of tension within me. Maybe it does for you as well. Because I hear it, you know, I was, you're, you're made to live a life on mission. And I, and I see, you know, the book and it's kind of this this, this adventurous, noble calling, life on mission. Um, but I realize my actual life is a little more mundane, right? a little more drab, just kind of plays out like, the script of that video. So I wake up and I I try to be on time and I work hard and I run errands and I cook and I clean and I go to bed and and do it all over again the next day. And uh, so it leaves me kind of wondering, can can that be made into something more? And and I'm realizing it's not, this isn't really a call to business as usual, is it? Uh, By exposing ourselves to the things that we're doing in this series, that we're exposing ourselves to be challenged a little bit. And so I'm I'm kind of wondering if, if I'm ready to be challenged. And maybe you're trying to figure that out too as we're in week two of life on mission. But I think that's good. I think that's good for us. I think you'd, um, I think you'd agree with me that any organization or any person can be susceptible to the tendency to drift away from what they say they're about, from, from who they say they are. Organizations have to work hard, they have to challenge themselves to protect against that. And teams and families and churches and individuals have to work hard to maintain integrity and remember who they are and what they're about, don't they? I remember when I I got a job in college and uh, it was uh, the most sophisticated job I'd had to that point in life um, in my illustrious career of detasseling corn and uh, washing golf carts. I was now, I was working at a health club now, and I remember going to the big orientation meeting thing that they had right after I'd gotten hired. And it was led by the Big Cheese, the, the founder and GM. Uh, this was one of the premier clubs in that part of the country, and it, it, was, it was big, a lot of employees. And of course, the general manager didn't have direct oversight over, over every single one of them. And so this orientation meeting was his opportunity to define for everyone uh, in the organization, th- this is who we are. Th- this is what it means to be part of this organization. I'm sure you can think of some similar experiences that you've had. Uh, some of them may be lame or, or uninspiring, and others perhaps very inspiring. And inevitably, in that kind of uh, event, at some point, the, the story is told, right? This is the story of who we are. Th- this is how it all came to be. This is, this is how the mission first took shape and how we were set off in this direction and we were guided by these principles. This is the story of who we are. If you're leading an organization, you want everyone grounded in that when they first sign on, first sign on don't you? And because you know how easy it is to drift, how easy it is to forget, you have to continually call yourself and the people in the organization back to what you were founded upon the foundation upon which you were built and and this general manager uh, he had a way of doing that when uh when morale was low he would he would dust off that story or he'd he'd pull a new one out of the bag that was a fresh expression of founding virtues when there was conflict he would reorient us with a, with a story of what's at stake when performance wasn't up to par, he would, he would call up a story that was specific to that situation, that was told in an effort to say, this is how we do things. That's, that's how an organization is kept on course. And you know, that that's how life is kept on course as well, isn't it? We need to be reoriented to what life is about sometimes. And if we happen to care about, say, about such things, uh, to what faith is about, and to what Jesus is about. And probably the times when that's most critical for us are the times when things are seemingly just going along just fine, I guess. We're doing the day-to-day routine. We're a cog in the wheel that keeps going round and round, doing the everyday stuff of work and of life, not really thinking very deeply about, uh, well, about anything, just going through the motions until we do it all over again the next day. Because if we roll along like that too long, without any sense of how what we're doing connects with the larger story of what life is about, well, that's when we end up drifting into something less than, other than what we hoped life would be, than what life is supposed to be. And so that's why we need to be in this series and challenge ourselves with this series, Life on Mission. And that's why we need to have the big cheese walk in the room and dust off the story of how and where this mission began in the first place. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, to help us, we're going to be in, in the Bible, in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 9. Go ahead, if you've got a Bible, like a real one with actual pages, turn it to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9, or dial it up on your phone or whatever you have. The words will be on the screen as well as we jump into Matthew 9. You know, the, the theme for this week is connect, uh, getting connected and staying connected, being connected, making connections, all of those are very important values for us today, right? That's why uh, Facebook and Twitter are very central uh, things in our lives. They create platforms for us to connect in ways that, that we never thought possible before. And there's all kinds of technology that helps us do that. You, I'm invited and you're, you're invited all the time to get, connect with me on my LinkedIn professional network. Right? You, you got to be connected. I mean, you just gotta be connected. That's how business gets done. It's how friendships are maintained. It's how romances start, it's how events get planned, it's how news is delivered, it's through being connected. You gotta be connected, right? And when you open up the Bible to this section, to the gospels, as we call them, the, the story of Jesus, like in Matthew, this is the story of God saying, We gotta be connected. But in God's case the, the mode wasn't through digital communication. He wanted to meet in person, and thus Jesus. The story of Jesus. That that thing that just keeps capturing our attention week after week around here. So you you watch Jesus, and watching that is watching God connect with the world. In Jesus, we, we see God meets world. Boy meets world. Wasn't that a show? Corey and Topanga? Anyway, this is God meets world. God makes a connection with the world. And I suppose any of us, if we thought about that, uh, we, we would have some expectations of how that would play out. Like, if we just imagine God meets world, how would that go? Well, the pages of Matthew describe how that went. And they, they reveal some of the expectations held by people in that day of how that would play out, of how that should play out. God meets world. There was, if you can imagine this, a whole group of religious insiders who would have imagined that God meets world would unfold according to the same social patterns as the ones that they had established for interacting with all the other people in the broader, sinful, disreputable, hell-bent world. Namely, uh, shunning them, condemning them, relegating them to lower uh, social classes or or spiritual states, always, always keeping them at arm's length. Unless, of course, they meet certain qualifications, undergo behavior modifications, perform ritual purifications with the requisite sophistication such that they might be given some consideration in overcoming their alienation. It a, see if you're awake. It's a long shot, but maybe. That, that, that's how it would go. When, when God meets world, there were a lot of people who thought that's how it would go. That's how it should go when the righteous meets the unrighteous. When the holy and the profane collide. When God and world connect. We might have some expectations about how that would go. And then we read Matthew chapter 9. When God meets world in Jesus. Matthew 9 beginning in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, now Jesus is on his mission. These are the beginnings of it, right here, and he's on his way. And he came upon a man named Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And I mean, this is it, right here. You, you talk about the holy and and the profane colliding. This is it. If you've been reading in, in the hardcover uh, version of the book, Harlow, he, he makes some comments here about about what it meant that Matthew was a tax collector. I mean, he, he's just he, he's the lowest. Of the low. I mean, he's so low, he's separated from just the common sinner. Just despised. One, because tax collectors were swindlers. They extracted more tax from the people than what was required, and then they kept it for themselves. And two, they worked for the Roman government. I mean, the Romans were the occupying power. They, they stole the Jews' freedom. So uh, tax collectors were sellouts to the enemy who got rich by cheating their own people. So when, Ma- when, when Jesus comes upon Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, that's what he's looking at. You think, like, sharing an elevator with a Steelers fan is bad. But, I mean, this, this, this is way worse, right? And we, we have some expectations about how this would go, this interaction. And, and so did the band of followers that was traveling with Jesus. I mean, they would have known all of the, the social norms for handling such an encounter with a tax collector. The dirty stare, the attitude, the one-finger salute, or whatever they did, right? The judgment, the condemning, the invitation to dinner. Wait, what? Wait, did, Jesus did what? You can imagine the, the surprise, not, not to mention the, the discomfort or even the anger felt by those traveling with Jesus when they discover how Jesus handles this situation. Verse 9 says that when Jesus saw Matthew, he, he said to him, follow me. A- and Matthew got up. And followed him. And then there, there's, there's some details obviously left out. You just It flashes forward in verse 10. Well, Jesus is, Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house. And many tax collectors and sinners came and, and they ate there with Jesus and all of his disciples. God meets world. And apparently they hit it off. As this holy one from on high is yucking it up with this scum from the underworld and all of his hooligan friends. Quite a scene there. They seem quite comfortable around one another, and, and of course, this doesn't quite square with expectations, which creates no little consternation for the religious association. So they do some interrogation. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his the disciples, "Hey, why, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" Well, Jesus can answer for himself. He, he heard it, and he said to them, "Look, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but sick." Why don't you go and learn what this means? I desire mercy. Not sacrifice. Not religious games and rituals. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So there it is. Jesus eats with sinners. With outsiders. With with the enemy, even. Not just tolerating it, like Thanksgiving with your in-laws. But... Like he belonged there. Like he, he was fitting in. He, he was at home there. And he, he sought it out. He initiated it and followed through on this relationship. When Jesus meets outsider, he doesn't just flip a, b- a business card and, and hope nothing comes of it. No, he, he reached out to make the connection, looked Matthew in the eye, extended the hand and said, I want you to be one of us. In fact, let's do something to eat. And, and remember, Jesus Jesus with his crew. He, he's got plenty of friends. The entourage there following Jesus around. He's traveling the countryside, making a name for himself. Jesus doesn't need any more friends. And even if he did, surely his mama told him not to go looking for them at a toll booth. All, all of that might shape our expectations of what would happen when God meets world. Of what should happen when God meets world. But regardless of what we thought about that, what we actually have is this story. This story, which before it was written down in the Bible, it was first reminisced and bantered about by some hoodlums from the underworld. I mean, you, you can imagine them the next day rolling out of bed late, uh, maybe with a hangover. I, I don't know what kind of party it was, but I know what kind of friends Matthew had. And, and the conversation probably started just like it does every Saturday morning. Man, You remember that party from last night? I mean, They had never partied in the presence of God before. Surely there was something to talk about. And Jesus' followers talking about the same thing. Man, do you remember that party last night? They had never partied in the underworld before. Surely there was something to talk about. And, and the religious insiders, they're, they're talking about it. And from the underground all the way up through the, religious, the circles of the religious elites, the story of what happened when God meets world is creating quite a buzz. To the point that eventually it does get written down in the Bible in the book of Matthew. And the same story recorded in Mark and in Luke. And, and there's other places too. Once in Luke it's observed, hey, would you look at that? All, all the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling, saying this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you can imagine how how a story would would make its way around the streets. The one when Jesus invited himself over to the kingpin tax collector's house and ate with him. You read about that in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus. Of course, the the gossip, it gets back to Jesus. He knows what people are saying about him. So in front of a large crowd one day, he says, referring to himself, the son of man, I came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what they're saying. That's the rap on Jesus. Friend of tax collectors and sinners. Welcomes outsiders. No, no, no. Invites himself into the lives of outsiders. That's his reputation. Jesus moves beyond his social circle to include the excluded. Eats with people who are different from him. Sits with the weird kids at lunch, talks to shady characters and looks them in the eye. Jesus loves those close to Him and reaches beyond His comfort zone to connect with those out there because He loves them too. When God meets world, that's how it went down. That's the story of how this mission began. And everyone knew it back then. Everyone, you ask ask the frat boy, ask the mobster, ask the prostitute, ask the priest, ask the soldier, ask the religious insiders, ask the children, ask the skeptic, ask his closest followers, ask his enemies. They know the story. And regardless of whether they liked it or not, they'll tell you when God went on a mission to connect with the world that he loves, that's how it went down. Anybody back then would have known that. Does anyone still know it now? Do we still know that now? This story, these stories of our founder, do they guide us today? Does his reputation live on in us? For those of us who have, so to speak, signed on, with the organization, is what Jesus was about, what we are about. What's the rap on us? When God meets world in Jesus, do we look like that when we meet the world? If, if it's the case that, that we wouldn't expect God meets world to play out the way it does in Jesus, Let me make a couple of suggestions about why that is. Either, one, it's because we are an insider who has spent so much time going through the religious motions that we've drifted into believing that that's what life is really about. We've sure enough gotten ourselves all wrapped up in religious activity. But rather than that aligning us with a godly purpose for our lives, it has caused us to drift into something less than, other than, what we're supposed to be about. From what Jesus was about. Loving people. The story of how and where this mission began, it's It's dusty. And as a result, our main concern has become following all the right religious protocols. And so that's led us to be a little freaked out whenever we encounter someone who doesn't follow all the same protocols. And we react by judging, avoiding, separating, arguing, blaming, condemning. In doing so, we become our own judge. It's proof positive that we have forgotten our founding story. We have dishonored our founder's empty grave by acting as if there are some people for whom he did not die. Some people so bad that he could not possibly love them. If we are surprised by what we discover in Jesus here, it is either because, one, we are insiders who have drifted away from the manner in which God desires to connect with the world, or two, it's because... You're an outsider whose perception has been warped by hanging around too many misguided insiders. And if that's the case for you, then I'm sorry. As someone who has spent too much of my life as a misguided insider, I'm sorry. There is a tendency for anyone to drift away from what they're supposed to be about. And the church has often done that. The regretful thing in that is that it's hampered our ability to be effective and faithful agents of the mission that God has called us to. It has clouded and, and suppressed what is actually some very good news. Some very good news. News worth founding a movement on. And that is, God wants to connect with a world that is languishing without Him. He he is eager to connect with people who are misguided in their attempts to figure out what life is about. God hasn't given up on us. not, Not on the outsiders or on the insiders, thankfully. In fact, just like He called Matthew super sinner tax collector and Paul super religious Pharisee insider, you can read about that in the Bible some other time, just like He called both of them, He is still inviting all of us into a life on mission. Whether your life plays out in the underworld, or, or a toll booth, or some godforsaken profession, or you've done God-forsaking things, or you have perfect church attendance, or you're just a, a regular girl or a normal guy, His invitation to all of us is the same. Follow me. Follow me into a life on mission. And I, I, know, I know your baggage seems to be a threat to the mission mine is too. My proneness to anger is a threat to the mission. My self-righteousness, like that of the religious insiders of Jesus' day, could severely inhibit the mission. My lustful eyes are a threat to tear down everything that's been built in my life because of the mission. My baggage could severely impact my effectiveness as an agent of the mission. But, but the beauty of the good news, the beauty of it is that Jesus says, don't let that stop you. It ain't stopping me. I got your baggage. Follow me into a life on mission. And we go remembering that when it comes to God, we're all outsiders without Jesus. Uh-huh. We're all outsiders without Jesus. I mean, you can fool yourself if you want. Did you, you're fine. You're good. You've you got life under control. But Jesus said... I've come to call sinners, people who, who just know who they are, not, not the righteous. It's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. So if you don't want to be called by Jesus, if you don't think you need a doctor, that's fine. You know, take two doses of pride and call me in the morning. I hope that works for you. But, but good news for the sick. For the sick, Jesus says, there's hope for you. There's a life. For you, There's a mission for you, and it starts right now with you and me being connected in a relationship. And if you can trust me that I love you enough to connect with you, and you can believe me when I say that I love everyone else enough to connect with them, like literally everyone else, then we got a shot to get this mission off the ground. But it can only happen if you love them too. The mission goes nowhere without love. I mean nowhere. It was driven by love from the get-go, from the heart of God, and that's the only way it goes forward. Because it starts with relationships. It's about relationships. The mission consists in relationships. That's, That's the currency of it. It doesn't, it's not about transactions. And those kinds of missions are actually easier. When you can measure on a scorecard, or you can have a checklist, or you can get things done. But but this is not about accomplishing tasks, or scoring points, or hitting your numbers on converts. All of those things can be done without love. But relationships are about people, and people don't get done. People are shaped in relationships, and relationships are forged and maintained through love. And they're messy. And they're, they're hard work. And, and they take a lot of time and energy. And they involve humans who are such a pain. Right? Have you noticed? But relationships are, are, are the stuff of the mission. The relationships that you have or could have right around you. That's where the mission begins. If you're going to live a life on mission, the first thing you've got to understand is it's about relationships. So what relationships do you have? If you're already on the journey with Jesus, how many friendships do you have with people who are not, yeah, who, who are ambivalent to faith or even hostile? Do you have any friends like that? People maybe like Matthew? May God bring them to your mind right now. Or maybe, maybe he's already done that in this last week as you uh, heard Ben's challenge from last week to think about who. You think about those people, and as you do, probably what God is saying to all of us is you need to deepen your relationship with those friends. And, or, you need more of those friends. Friends, not projects. Friends demand love. Nobody wants to be your project. How about your phone contact list? As you uh, scroll through it there, is it, is it just filled with people who, who look like you, believe like you, the same race as you, vote like you. Well, kind of like a financial advisor looking at your portfolio, I think God would say if you're going to live a life on mission, you need to diversify that list. And that won't happen by just waking up, going through the motions, going to bed, and doing it all over again. I mean, if Jesus just coasted along in normal social conventions, then Matthew's got no story to tell. We've got nothing good to say today. But God, God, God doesn't roll like that. He, he is on a barrier-breaking mission, and He is inviting you along. So where, in God's name, are you creating opportunities in your life to interact with people who are beyond your circle? Just, just noticing someone. T- taking interest in the picture that's on their desk starting a conversation at the mailbox uh, inviting someone to lunch like like really it's really that simple that that is the the mind-blowing thing that is being challenged that we're being challenged with things that simple uh, uh, harlow hammers this in the book if you've been reading it at one point he says and i agree with him if you do nothing more than connecting with your neighbors, we will be way ahead. So go go throw a party. In fact, let me, let me invite you to a party. Let me take you to a party. Um, it's Friday evening, and inside the house there's music playing and, and food spread all over the large center island in the kitchen. The dishes there were brought by the 50 or so people who are uh, flowing freely around the kitchen and the living room and downstairs and out on the deck, and, and the kids are, are somewhere. Right? Uh, it's a fun atmosphere, very diverse crowd in a lot of ways, but apparently they all like eating. And, and so that's what they do every uh, fourth Friday of the month, uh, a core of them anyway, and then there are some who are there for the first time or maybe the second time. They're always welcome back, and new invitations are constantly being extended for this thing that has become a regular part of the rhythm of this home and, and of this group. The house the house is built for this. Literally. The basement was just remodeled in a way that made it conducive for large gatherings and activities. And you look around at all the signs of life and joy and and laughter and the connections being made. And you never guess that there was a time when it wasn't like this. No, it wasn't always like this. See, Tim, the, the man of the house, he's not by nature a social butterfly. And there was a time when any kind of gathering like this would have made him very unsettled, very reluctant to engage. Not that these kind of gatherings happen very often then. No, the days used to just kind of roll by for he and his wife, Tammy. He worked six days a week, came home, sat on the couch, watched TV, existed in the same space with his wife for a while, went to bed and did it over again. There was no real impetus to break out of this mold for Tim. And no no confidence to do it either. I mean, he wasn't a tax collector, but you can call him what you want. He was a High school dropout. He was living on his own at 16. Faced a lot of rejection growing up. Spent some time in jail. His first marriage failed. His wife was cheating on him the whole time. So, so no wonder the thought of engaging with people, of making a new relationship was unsettling. Knowing his baggage. I mean, how does a guy like that ever get confidence that he'd be accepted in a relationship? How, how could he trust that he would be loved once he's exposed for who he really is? Add to that his failure to remain faithful to his current wife. and That led him to a place where a year ago he was ready to bail on his marriage. I mean, he didn't, didn't know what else to do. So separate from all that, uh, just before that time, uh, with a group of guys that, that were meeting at my house, uh, mo- mostly Edgewood guys, kind of right in our area, but uh, there was one guy who, who was from um, up toward Aberdeen a little bit, real good friend of mine, And and he was enmeshed in our group. He he was part of the circle. But he he, he couldn't ignore, couldn't help but feel like God was calling him to to break out of his comfort zone. Break out of this circle that he was a part of and and go with his family and just start something similar. a, A new kind of group with his family closer to where he lived. And so as much as we'd miss him, we sent him out on a mission. And at the same time, there happened to also be a woman and her husband who were feeling a similar tug to reach out to people right where they are in the place around them in Aberdeen, where they lived. And my friend, he got connected with her, and their families began inviting and crafting opportunities for people to get together and to study the Bible together and eat together and eventually, hopefully, shape a life together. And... And lo and behold, it actually started to happen. To to the point that at their invitation, Tim came with Tammy to one of their group gatherings. Now it's clear that Tim didn't want to be there. Everybody knew that. And, And he was very skeptical about the whole thing at first. And he had not yet figured out a better path forward in life other than divorcing his wife. But, because of a wife who sat him down and said, I don't care what's happened in your life. We're going to get the help we need. I'm going to stand behind you and we're going to fight for this thing. And because of two families who followed God's promptings to break out of typical patterns of life and look around at the people close to them and just reach out to make a connection with, all of, with, them, with this family and a whole bunch of others, Tim by being drawn into this, was finally able to, over time, begin to believe that God's love extends even to him. That there are people who actually love him. The real him. That there is a God who actually loves him. And in a group environment where he wasn't a project, but simply loved and accepted and invited to follow Jesus with others doing the same thing, To to make a long story short, he has now become the person who initiated the remodeling of the basement for social gathering and the one who is championing the parties at their house, which provide continual connection points for more and more people right around them so that God's mission can go forward freely and without hindrance in the place where God has put him. He is living a life on mission. Because other people broke out of their mold and decided they were going to live their lives on mission. And now they're all doing it connected together, connecting with others. Holding on and reaching out, as we would say, in the mountain walk. Amen. And I hear that story. And that's just a, it's a fraction of it. We don't have time to tell all of it. And we don't have time for all the stories that I've heard this week that are very similar to that. Uh, they they're telling the same thing. It happens over and over again. But when I hear all of that, there are three things that, that become so clear to me. And I'll close with this. Number one, the mission goes nowhere without love. That's why and how it started. It was love. But, but it's quickly halted in its tracks. If I don't understand that I am loved by God, that God's love extends even to me. God reached out to connect with me. Because he loved it. because he loved me. If I don't understand that, then I cannot participate in the mission. Tim was useless in the mission until he understood that. Now he does, and he's going bonkers. Now he trusts that. Now he believes that. But look, if we think, if we don't get this right. Okay, if we think we're just going to go off and serve and share and grow and pray, unmotivated by love, it, it will quickly just devolve into religious box checking. People will only be projects to us. Any overtures we do make to connect with other people will rightly be perceived as coercive and disingenuous. We have to actually love people. And we can't do that until we understand that God actually loves us. So, If we can get that right, then, number two, we've got to have more parties. We, we just do. Or we've got to go to more parties. We've got to meet people on their turf. That's what Jesus did with Matthew or we got to we got to find a way to be more hospitable with, with our own turf. We we, we got we, we got to eat with people more. Not eat more with people. No, we got to eat with people more. Okay? Like really. That, that's what we need to do. Go out, go eat with someone. Do it today. Sunday's a great day for that. You know, what what if Christians were known for always having and going to parties? Not, not that our parties need to be judged by the shallow standards of the world for what, for what makes a good party, but that, that they're just, that we, always, we just get together. We enjoy life. We celebrate. And in the process, we're always inviting people into that who don't look like us. So there it is. There, there's your mission for the week, should you choose to accept it. Have a party. Have a party. Invite some people who, maybe they're on the outs with God, or they're outsiders to you. Just just make a connection. Or maybe it's more appropriate for you to just take someone to coffee or to lunch, I mean, people got to eat, and Jesus is saying, "Go eat with them." Really, that's what—that's what God is saying to you: today, go eat with someone. This is not the pit. This is not where the preacher says to you, you know, go tell someone about Jesus, all right? And you got to psych yourself up. I mean, th- we do have to do that. There, there's a time for that. We do have to be about that. But just back, back up a little bit, and just show someone you love them by going to lunch or starting a conversation for Christ's sake, make a connection with someone for whom he died and who you don't know well. And the last thing, if, if we actually started doing those things and all of it was motivated by love, then the last thing that becomes clear to me is that we got a shot here the mission could actually roll on and have an impact in all the places where we live and work and play. I mean, I can sense the potential. It's like when you're watching your team play, and maybe you weren't favored to win the game, but you're hanging around, and, and all of a sudden, the ball bounces your way. The tables turn. Momentum shifts. You get a score, and all of a sudden, you look around and say, holy cow, we got a shot here. We could actually pull this thing off. You start to believe you start to believe that if we called ourselves back to the story of what happens when God meets world, and we allow ourselves to be embraced by Him and loved by Him and invited by Him, just like Matthew was, and all of that prompted us to love others in the same way and seek out connections, and have parties and invite people to lunch and meet our neighbors at the mailbox and talk to the other parents on the sidelines of the soccer game, and reach beyond our clicks at school, if we did all of that, and we didn't treat people like projects. We didn't treat people like projects, but as people loved by God and loved by us. If all of those things made up our reputation, if that was the wrap on us when you asked around, if that's what it looked like when we met the world, we got a shot. The mission could actually happen. Uh, we We could do something here. Life could mean something here. We could actually have an influence in all the places where we eat and sleep and work and go to bed and do it over and over again every day. We could be the church that God intended us to be. If we all first put ourselves in Matthew's shoes and hear God's invitation to us, then we'll be able to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes and connect with the world that He loves. Where is God calling you to make a connection? Let's pray. God, thank you for the good news that you have included us, you have connected with us. We understand that We're unworthy of that and there's lots of reasons that maybe we're unlovable. But, yep, today we just find ourselves saying thank you that you love us. Your love extends even to us and we praise you for that. Give us the courage to to see and to act uh, on what we see around us, namely the people that are there, people that you love. Uh, Help us to love them like you do. Help us to see them like you do, that we might be the church that you called us to be. In your name, let the mission go forward.